0: The Guardian. Hello, my name is Sarchi Lloyd and you are listening to The Guardian Children's Book Podcast. I'm going to read you a little bit from the opening section of my new book, Quantum Drop. Chapter One. I guess what I'm going to tell you is kind of a love story. Though, if you met me face to face, you'd never in a million years take me for the romantic type. But when a girl like Thais comes into your life and turns it upside down, well, you've got to lay yourself out on the line, because otherwise, what are you? Some kind of dead man walking. At least that's the way I see it. But relax. I'm not going to give you my whole draggy backstory. Me and nappies and all that mama didn't give me enough love and daddy was a rolling stone crap. No, that's not where this is going. No, not at all. I suppose I've got to pick somewhere to begin because, you know, it's not like all the madness sprang up out of nowhere. But looking back on it now, the exam hall was probably the first time the pressure blew the lid right off me. So I'm going to start there. The final week of my college exams. And we're in the area test hall and it's a quarter past three in Booth C for candidate number 3027 Anthony Griffin. Oh, and look, I'm going to level with you. That's not my real name. I picked it up online, but please don't take it personal. I don't mean to be rude or nothing. I'm only faking up a name so it's clean between us so that I don't know you and you don't know me. Because it's easier that way. Easier to talk, right? And this exam is my big moment. It's my way to blast clear of a debt belt forever. But I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm not scribbling down all that knowledge that I've spent endless months and years cramming into my skull. No, I am blowing my future, big style. And I'm trapped here in this place and I can't find my focus, I'm floating above myself. I twist my neck and I gaze around the room at all the kids, trapped inside their separate cubicles with their flushed faces and narrowed eyes, tongues poking out the corners of their mouths. You know the look, the future generation, all the different tribes of us. The winners, the losers, the geeks, the jokers, the sociopaths, the slackers. Homo habilis, Homo erectus, Homo neanderthalensis, Homo sapiens, yeah we're here all right. Homo sapiens, thinking human. Jokes, right? A girl across the way glances up and catches my roving eye and frowns at me. I make myself look back at my screen again, but it's no good. And I don't want to lie, it's all my fault. I haven't revised for even one minute. I haven't even set foot in college for weeks. A cold shiver runs across my flesh. In my mind, I see the ventilator, I hear the mechanical rasp as it pumps oxygen through the tube. I see her chest, strapped into a plastic guard as it rises and falls to the beat of a machine. Man, this is a bad day for the whole big Anthony Griffin future. But the thing is, I just don't want it no more. I don't want to sell my brain for peanuts or laugh like a sad loser at my boss's sad loser jokes. That's what guys like me end up doing. And there are no jobs anyhow. If I had my way, I'd step out of this exam hall and walk the earth like grasshopper. Yeah, fighting and fixing stuff and helping folks on my lonely trek to Nirvana. But I'm ashamed of my body, my soft hands. I don't know any knots, any nooses, any traps, any poisons, any anything that keep me alive. And that's what I want to be, a boy alive. I want it more than anything in the world. And I live where I live, right in the debt belt. And from all I hear, that's a lot of places nowadays. My name is Anthony Griffin, and I am the boy next door. Nothing special about me. I'm in every street, in every neighbourhood, and on every city on earth. Hell, I probably live over the way from you. I'm global, man.
1: You introduced us there to Anthony and the place that he lives, the, the debt belt, which is where people survive on black market credits run by a gang called yes. The Better after a financial crash. Um, very topical. What came first for you with this story? Was it was it the theme? Was it Anthony? Um, was it The Drop? You might need to give us a bit more context here about debt built and The Drop.
0: I think my books tend to organically come together through, through two routes. One is I definitely have things... I, I tend to pick the thing I'm most furious about you know something i really want to explore often a political or an or an economic or an environmental issue something that i think is a really big question or an issue that's uh, that's facing people and the other part wants to grow it organically through people i know through characters i observe um through people's responses and what people say to me. So hopefully in the end, what, what I'm trying to produce is is a really well-rounded and three-dimensional book, uh, because I, I'm certainly not, even though I consider myself a very political writer, I'm certainly not wanting to write agitprop. I want to write political books, books that really tackle big questions, but that are peopled with really three-dimensional uh, angry, lively, lovely, weird characters, you know, who kind of write themselves and, and live, you know, lift off the page. I love to um, use technology uh, in my books. I've certainly done it in Quantum Drop and the last book, Momentum. Partly I like it because it's a literary device and it enables me to explore a kind of a near-future uh, scenario and, and kind of get a lot of, in a way, dirty glamour and progressive technological ideas into quite harsh worlds I create. And so the drop is it's a kind of an augmented reality world. If you imagine something a bit like Google Glass, which is about to come out, but kind of maybe 10 or 15 years down the line. So it's not an external thing on a frame. It's maybe a chip that's directly um, hooked into your optical nerve. In quantum drop, it's still an external thing on on a, you know, people have to use a visor to enter this world. But it's a very real augmented world in which these kids who live in the debt belt, these areas of the world, quite often cities, that have been ravaged by the financial crash. And it's where these kids go to outsource themselves to get work. And it's quite often these kids who are working in their families, because uh, their parents, maybe there's no work around them, but by their use of technology, these kids are able to go and find work for themselves and for their families.
1: That's actually more backstory than the, the, the reader gets when they first mm. read the book. You, you do drop the reader... Right, in it. I mean, is that for for pace or is it, I mean, is it just an assumption of intelligence on the part of your readers? Yes, it's (laughs)
0: it's an assumption of ferocious intelligence. I'm quite a fan of... um David Simon, who uh, wrote The Wire, which I think has is, is ruined TV for me, really, because uh, I can't watch anything else, really, after that series. And um, he is a, a big assumer of ferocious intelligence on part of his audience, and he really explains very little, and you just have to follow the character into the world. And as much as possible, I try to give very few hints and backstories. I'm just like, off you go. You work this person out.
1: This book is our Teen Book Club Book of the Month. So we've got um, a large number of ferociously intelligent readers reading it. <laughs> and one of them is Layla, who's got a question for you, um, going back to the, the question of politics in your books. And she says, climate change, energy crises, police crackdowns, You you like to take on political themes. Do you think there's enough politics in teen fiction? She says that teenagers seem to be getting... More into politics now. She doesn't find that um, the stuff she reads reflects that very much. What do you think?
0: Leila, I'm totally with you. There are certain things that seem to keep cropping up, like sort of cancer seems to come (laughs) up and uh, orphans. And then when it comes to directly talking about the real world or politics or real world issues, there does seem to be a bit of a vacuum to me. You know, there are some youth movements like Indignados in Spain and and, you know, the Occupy movement that give me a lot of hope and, you know, that like, kids are engaging again in politics. And I think it will be down to them to kind of formulate a new progressive generation because they do have a lot of hope. I think a lot of writers are quite apolitical or they think that uh, maybe writing about politics makes their characters boring or they're frightened of the issues. You have to really think about your characters, and you have to be prepared to put characters in who completely disagree with you, uh, because otherwise it's just a flat book. It's got to be a world, a really credible world, where people are just furious with each other. <laughs> uh, and you've got to, as a writer, as a political writer, you've got to be prepared to, to put give really good lines to people who you don't even agree with politically, because you've got to.
1: I mean, the voices of your characters is, is one area where you, you talk about credibility in 3D characters, and you seem to be spot on with these characters' voices. So, so Anthony, I mean, how do you do that? Do you draw on your time as a teacher in East London. Are you still teaching?
0: Yes, uh, I still teach uh, a few days a week. Yeah, very much so. I mean, uh, uh, Anthony was a a very um, long time in the the development, Anthony, and he was I did interviewed loads of boys, partly because uh, I wanted to make sure I I got quite an authentic boy's voice. Boys get really pigeonholed uh, as a certain thing, and they're much more emotional, and they have a much more interesting range of of feelings than is generally covered in literature. And so loads of those lines of Anthony's are really just directly from me talking to boys and he really loves his little sister and I, I, I interviewed this boy Mikey for ages and that was directly from him I, he had his sisters a few years younger than him and he said I just love her I just think she's fantastic and I was just like oh that's just boys say that and he was like super proud of his little sister I was like why are you proud of her he's, he's like yeah because she's so pretty and she like really chats back to my mum and she's great <laughs> It's just like a really lovely boy, you know. I wanted to ask you about
1: Antony's sister, Stella, because yes. I had a, a question from Bookworm66 who says she is brilliant. Mm. Stella is brilliant. And she wanted you to just tell us a bit more about her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Everyone loves that. I love Stella. I wish I'd given her more now, really. I could write a whole book from Stella. I mean, Stella is just her own person entirely. A great inspiration for Stella came from... Um, There's a a scientist and a writer called Temple Grandin who wrote a fantastic book called The Woman Who Thinks Like a Cow. And she's this really high-functioning autistic woman. There's a film as well about her. And she's so interesting and she's got such interesting things to say about the human mind and about the autistic mind and how it functions. And she thinks that normal humans are really quite odd with our psychodramas and our endless kind of ups and downs and denials. And she says that the autistic mind, you know, people on that kind of spectrum have got so much to offer and have so much of an interesting perspective on the world. And I just really wanted to explore a character like that, you know, with their struggles, you know, to try and fit in, but also their uniqueness and brilliance. And that Anthony loves her so much and he loves her
1: because she's just really honest he just thinks that's amazing. You pack a lot into this book. Mm. You know, you've got Stella who's um, on the autistic spectrum yes. and you've got finance and you've got technology and you've got biology because Anthony yeah. is, is really into his science and his biology and it's a, a cracking revenge-based thriller. Did you ever at any point get a bit exhausted as you were writing it? You yeah, know? this was nuts
0: <laughs> to write this book. Um, it's actually been through about eight different drafts and I've changed it a lot. My mother makes this Christmas cake and it's, it's so dense, it's like a black, black hole, it sort of pulls you in. That's what this book is like a bit. Um, I've actually got this desk that's beautifully set up and it's got this ergonomic chair and it's got this great mouse and it's all set up. And I can't get myself back into this desk since writing this book because I've traumatised myself by writing this at that desk. So now I sit all hunched up on this funny chair next to the desk because Quantum Drop's <laughs> finished me off
1: which takes us neatly on to a question from Londoner 16, which is, what next? After
0: I thought, God, I need to have a laugh. So I'm writing comedy and I am writing, uh, the working title is 50% banana, uh, which is because um, when they um, sequenced the human genome, uh, they discovered that human beings are 50% banana, 70% fruit fly. Uh, we're not anything like as special as we thought we were. So it's a, it's a comedy set in a parallel universe, It starts in the belly of a Hadron supercollider. The idea is this mad scientist, this mad Californian scientist, is going to outsource all of of the economic and climate problems to another world using a wormhole from the Hadron supercollider. But at the last moment, a hair of his mad scientist, a follicle of his hair, falls into the wormhole, and so... This new world is created, and it's our world, but peopled entirely by mad Californians. I'm really looking at technology, and I'm really interested in the idea of who's in charge, because sometimes I feel that technology is in charge of us, and I think it should be the other way around. And I'm very interested in a bigger and a broader debate about... um, technology being more democratic, more open and more belonging to people, Um, so there's a great cast of synthetics and, and, and humans and half cyborgs and all sorts of things, but it's a very funny world. go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.